Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his wives, his lords, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, drink from them. They drink wine and praise the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king loudly called to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the, the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then. Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, 
The Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, your word is a revelation of yourself to us. And within your word, you have given us the stories, the examples of those that have come before us to teach us to learn from their experience and choose a path that grows closer to you. Father, we're asking now that as we read that you would teach us these lessons that we would hear what you have us to hear this afternoon. We pray for your spirit, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure you've heard of this famous idiom. Let me give you an example. They haven't fired me yet, John said, but the writing is on the wall. It was no use. The writing was on the wall. 
Even though she was up all night studying for the final exam, thoughts of failure set in. The writing on the wall couldn't be clearer for the thieves. The police were on their tracks in hot pursuit. The gas tank read E. This was where it would all end. The famous idiom, the writing is on the wall, is used to describe the clear signs of doom and gloom approaching. Like many other idioms in the English language, they are taken from sometimes ancient but often well-known stories, timeless throughout the ages. Daniel chapter 5 is one of those stories, and it's the exact source from which we now get the phrase, the writing is on the wall. As alluded to, I'm sad to say that this story does not end in a field of flowers and sunshine. However, I am happy to say that there are a number of lessons for us to take away from this narrative. Our story begins some 20-some years post the death of King Nebuchadnezzar, 20-some years after Daniel chapter 4, which is the testimony of King Nebuchadnezzar. It's the story, Daniel chapter 4, of his pride, his transformation into a beast for seven years. Then God restoring his kingdom back to him and his humbling yet genuine proclamation that Yahweh was the true king of heaven and earth. We enter the scene of a banquet hall full of people, about a thousand to be exact. Ladies and lords, intellectuals and statesmen, servers and dancers, musicians and jesters, all dressed in glorious garments of varied colors, feasting on the finest wine and a spread of kingly delicacies. It was a sight to behold, a bold sight, rather. Especially when outside of the city walls, the Persian army stood at attention, ready to invade the city, if they could just find a way in. I imagine that for Babylon and King Belshazzar, this would be the feast of all feasts in the history of Babylon. If they could laugh, dance, and drink in the face of danger, and in the face of God, then they were truly, as they believed, Babylon the Great. King Belshazzar was making a statement. Look at verse 1, what we've read in our text, text of emphasis. Daniel chapter 5, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. He said he tasted the wine. Secured away in storage for over 70 years were the sacred vessels from the Jewish temple. 
after the Jews were captured 70 years ago, 70 years earlier, by King Nebuchadnezzar, the treasures of the temple were taken as booty and sealed away. 70 years later, King Belshazzar, the young and reckless co-regent or stand-in, king of Babylon, thought it a perfect evening to use the sacred vessels in honor of the gods of Babylon and, of course, the magnificence of their securely built city. According to history, Belshazzar would have been a teenager about the time Nebuchadnezzar had died. The fact that he was able to recall and locate these sacred vessels from some time ago indicates that he was well aware of the highlights of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. However, it wasn't until after he tasted the wine that he seemed more emboldened to practice a type of profanity, a rite of sacrilege, to intentionally misuse that which was of sacred keeping. He tasted the wine and was filled with a type of liquid courage, the kind that relieves you of fear and also sound judgment. But we also know that the right drink also reveals what is truly in the heart. And for Belshazzar, this was arrogance and pride. In this particular passage, we're talking about literal wine, but in reference to prophetic chapters in this series on, on, of Daniel and the Revelation, we see a symbolic parallel in the book of Revelation to the wine of Babylon. The wine of Babylon is not just a literal drink as expressed here in Daniel 5. It's a type of teaching. It's a type of doctrine, a type of mentality that emboldens one to behave contrary to sound judgment or see that which should be sacred as common or even worthless or of no value. This wine of Babylon is a drink that makes you forget your status in relation to your creator. It's a drink that makes you focus on the works of your hands and take pride in that which you have built of your own strength and might. The wine of Babylon doesn't have to be a drink. It can be a philosophy. It can be a belief. It can be something like manifest destiny. The belief that white Americans were divinely ordained to expand the United States throughout the Americas, and that, and that made it both justified and inevitable. And it didn't matter whether it was taken by negotiation or by force. It's a belief of cultural and racial superiority over na Native Americans. The wine of Babylon is the belief that a young black man jogging down the road is worthy of a lynching because your skin is white and his is brown. Because your skin is less melanated, therefore it's superior. It's a belief that your biology makes you better than another. The wine of Babylon is thinking you're better than people from poor communities because your bank account has a few more zeros, because you wear clean clothes, 
You eat good food at nice restaurants. It's the belief that what you've worked for, what you've built with your own hands, gives you rights and privileges on this earth and somehow gets you merit in heaven. The wine of Babylon is the key to confusion and the gateway to destruction. The wine of Babylon is truly a symbolic poison and many of us are still drinking it today. So Belshazzar and his guests are feasting and drinking this wine and having a great time. In fact, the scene turns rated R as the drinks continued to flow. Ellen White in, in Patriarchs and Prophets, she's commenting on this particular chapter, Prophets and Kings, excuse me, and she calls it a riotous orgy. Those are her words, not mine. As the festivities darkened, they began to sing songs of praise to the gods of Babylon. They made their toast to the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And then verse five, immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. And the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The comfort and confidence in the work of their own hands, the greatness of their city, made the people of Babylon believe that they were invincible. 14 miles long on each side, 87 feet thick, and 350 feet high were the walls surrounding Babylon. There were a hundred bronze gates within the walls of the closest of the walls that were closest to the city, and a moat that ran between the inner and outer city walls. They were supplied with water by the great Euphrates River, and they had food, a food stock for years. They were confident that their enemies could not penetrate, could not get into Babylon the Great. But what they refused to know was that though their enemies had a hard time getting in, the God of heaven showed up right in their courts. And it wasn't the first time for Babylon for God to show up. But here's a lesson for us. We have got to stop living like God cannot see us. We have got to stop living as if God is not there. This isn't just any God. He's not just up in heaven and unattached from what's going on down here. This is a deeply relational God who wants to know you. A God that breaks the barriers of time and space to make himself present to us. 
And it could be in the form of a hand in midair, or it could be in the form of the man Jesus Christ. We have got to stop living like we don't have a heavenly father who numbers the hairs of your head. He knows the burdens you carry and he feels the pain that you, that you feel. God can see. And so, in this portion, we see a repeat of Nebuchadnezzar's mistake as Belshazzar calls the magicians, we've seen this before, the enchanters, the astrologers, all the wise men of Babylon to interpret the writing in return for riches and societal status which is really the only thing Babylon really had to offer. And many people in this day and age still sell their souls for just that. And some much less. Riches and societal status. This just sounds all too familiar. The thing, the thing about it is, is that the Babylonians were not irreligious people. In fact, Babylon was the religious capital known for their intellect, their wisdom, and their religious devotion to their gods. Their temples were filled with priests, and, it, and they were scattered all over the provinces. You could always find a temple. They were very well acquainted to that which is sacred and that which is common, which is another reason that we understand that this type of recklessness demonstrated by Belshazzar was, and this, this feast was him making a statement. It was a direct insult to the king of heaven. But clearly, Belshazzar wasn't the only one great at making statements. God had already left such marks on this great city. And so, as repetition would have it, of course, the wise men were perplexed. They couldn't decipher the writing on the wall. It was only through the recommendation of the queen, the queen mother, that Daniel was summoned. And she refers to the times of Nebuchadnezzar uh, uh, and when he was perplexed, that he leaned upon the faithful service and the wisdom of Daniel. Daniel, who had the spirit of the holy gods, and who was still living in the kingdom at that time. Look at verse 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Interesting. Very interesting. This is not the first time Belshazzar is hearing about Daniel. Daniel is a legend. The queen mother described him as such. However, in contrast to the queen's description, within the king's acknowledgement of Daniel, he refers to his status as one of the exiles from Judah whom his father had brought as a captive. You'll notice that anytime someone wants to, to pump themselves up or to pull someone down, they'll refer to their societal status. 
Surely he should have remembered Daniel as the man in Daniel chapter two who saved the lives of all the other wise men during the time of Nebuchadnezzar. Or even the friend of the three Hebrew boys who walked out of a burning furnace alive with no marks. He is referred to as the enlightened exile of Judah. The king promises Daniel riches and honor up to being the third in the kingdom. Gifts Daniel didn't care for. He deciphered the reading nonetheless because, of course, none of the other wise men could do it. Here's another lesson. There are some things only people connected to God will be able to discern or understand. If you remember the children of Israel and Moses, and Moses told them, God would like to meet with you today. And so God comes down from the mountain and there's thunder and there's lightning and there's tumultuous activity. And they hear thunder and lightning and Moses hears a voice. Or when Jesus came, he goes to a banquet and he's cloaked. And some hear thunder from heaven and others hear the voice of God. People who are connected to God can identify the work of God around them. People connected to God realize that sometimes they're in places because God put them there. That sometimes they meet people because God planned for it that way. That coincidences are rare to none when it comes to being guided by the Spirit of God. And while all the people in this banquet hall stood in terror and fear, Daniel stood confident and fearless. That's the kind of confidence I want. When literal judgment from God is staring you in the face and you have not a shred of fear because you know you've been placed there by God and he's with you. Look at verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nation, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. Watch this. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart Though you knew all this, though you knew all this. In 2016, I was teaching in Kalamazoo, Michigan, 
and I took my students on a field trip to go deliver water to residents living in the city of Flint. Because two years prior, the city, those in charge of the water, had switched the water supply from the Detroit River to the Flint River in order to save money. Now, Flint, a city of about 40% African Americans, they began to see a major change in the water quality. Now, I guarantee you that something like this would never happen on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. It would not. People started having reactions to the water. The water pipes flowing from the Flint system were corroded with lead. City officials decided not to immediately test the water and instead decided to wait and see. The next month, there was a smell, an odor to the water. Then the next month, E. coli is detected and other bacteria. By October, General Motors stops using the city water because it was causing corrosion in their machines. By January and February, cases of lead poisoning in children were being reported. Throughout this whole saga, the city maintained that the water was safe to drink and continued to promote the use of the water. So they increased the levels of chlorine. When the case came to trial, the public health crisis, the repeated questioning of ex-governor Rick Snyder and eight others began something like this. Did you receive the notification back in April of 2014 about a lack of corrosion, corrosion control treatment? Did you receive a notification about lead levels in the water? Did you receive a notification? Did you receive an email? Did you receive any information that something was wrong? Of course they had. And they chose to ignore it. But the point is, look, you knew. You knew. The whole time. You knew. And here's the point. The greater the knowledge, the greater the judgment. Belshazzar knew. He knew. He heard the stories. And, and had any of the gods of Babylon ever delivered human beings from a burning fire? You saw the sacred vessels. You read and heard Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. You had access to all the history chronicles of Babylon. You even had access to Daniel himself. You could have asked. Your mother even testified of Daniel. Belshazzar, you knew. You don't have to live through tragic events to know and believe that they happened. What if we as a people lived 
according to all the things we knew were true. How would that change the world, the globe, the universe? Throughout Babylon's history, God had been revealing himself. All these years, they had been shown the hand of God through his workings, miraculous things. But they disregarded it. Until finally, at the apex of a drunken feast, a literal hand sent from God's presence had to write on the wall in order for them to see. They were so focused on worldly greatness and grandeur that they missed the message God was communicating to them all this time. Focused on themselves. Look at verse 23. Daniel continues with his sermon, really. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with a purple, clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Wow. Question. What is the proper response when someone tells you that your kingdom is going to end and the message was sent supernaturally? I remember Nineveh. Jonah was coughed up from the mouth of a fish. He went and preached, and they repented in sackcloth and ashes. Even the cows were repenting. Belshazzar was able to honor the gods of gold, silver, brass, iron, wood, stone. And then even though Daniel had refused all those gifts, he even honored Daniel as well. How foolish can a king be? Don't honor Daniel, honor God. The one being who you've omitted from the grandeur and greatness of Babylon is the God who put you in that position and you honored everything else except him. You were so blind, Belshazzar, that you even honored an exile from Judah before you honored God. This is not foreign to human behavior. It is sad that often 
the only time people recognize that there's a God in heaven is when they realize that what they've made their gods on this earth can't save them. When things go wrong. But God is so good. God is so humble that he's okay with being your plan B, your plan C. He doesn't even have to make the first pick and he'll still take you. Still receive us with open arms. We love to honor people. We love to honor wealth. We love to honor status. We, we honor the work of our own hands, but we often neglect to honor God. Verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Now how the story ends is yes, those Persians were waiting around outside the city, waiting for a moment to capture. And the guards of Babylon, because of the feast, they were so drunk, they couldn't watch. So anyways, the Persians stopped up the Euphrates River, or legend has it, they stopped up the river and they walked right underneath into the city. The guards didn't stop them, of course, because they were too drunk. And that was the end of Babylon. One of the key ideas with the prophetic chapters of, of Daniel and Revelation is that there has never been a lack of revelation from God. There's never been a lack of him revealing himself. God spends all of his time trying to get the attention of the human race. But yet, at the end of time, people will reject God not for a lack of knowledge, not for a shortage of revelations, but because they want to. Because they want to. Because we can choose. Belshazzar made a bold statement in defiance of the living God and in the pomp and pride of Babylon's greatness. But the writing was on the wall. And God responded. Bold statements require bold answers, and God answered boldly. So here's my appeal, my encouragement. I told you, this doesn't end in sunshine and flowers. <laughs> it's not that kind of story. But for us Christians, we have to start living like we believe our God is alive that he is the king, that he is the ruler, that he directs our steps. We don't operate by luck and chance. We operate by the orchestration of the heavenly king. And what does it mean to live like God is alive? That doesn't mean to live in fear as if he's watching you ready to condemn. No, no, no. That's living a life of shameless love and devotion for God and for your neighbor. 
for others, to not have an oppressive spirit, to not be confused with the wine of Babylon. We don't want to live our lives by the idiom, the writing is on the wall. Don't live your life with a foreshadow of doom and gloom, but a foreshadow of truth and hope. Is that your prayer? Is that your desire? Then may it be your experience. Amen.